points, let's go, it's the fantasy points Ain't no raggedy joint, they mad at me scoring points But then they glad that they join One for the money, two bars on the show The boys stay ready, Swamp Rats, let's Yo, Swamp Rats, welcome back to the Two Bars Podcast. Um, I, I got to just say right off the bat, man, this is an exciting, exciting show for, for Scott and I. Uh, and for, for me too, uh, for just me personally, like I don't think Evan and I have ever been on a podcast together, like where he's been a guest on my show. I'm pretty sure I've always like guested on his shows back in the Roto World days. But uh, yeah, we've got the the big dog, Evan Silva, on the podcast today. Um, Evan, this is a... Wait, hold on. I just want to yeah. chime in. This is not the first time Evan's been on one of my podcasts. True. So, so the podcast with, uh, you know, that you, me and Johnny do for DFS each week, that started back in the day as the DFS Power Hour oh my God. podcast. He's, he and he don't, don't, don't spoil it. Okay. And, and so, like, we would get, you know, only 100 listeners for every single show, but it would be, you know, like, DFS pros, like the A Ravens of the world, like the people who listen to it, like we're smart, great guys. We just didn't get a ton of listeners. Uh, and so we begged to have Evan on uh, for one of our preseason shows and he decided to come on. It was like huge to me because I've always been such a fan of, of Evan Silva's. And so he came on and I was so nervous for it. I hate podcasts to this day. I still hate podcasts. I had to get yeah, drunk for it because I was so I was so nervous. I'm like, I need a beer to take the edge off. Never mind. I need three beers to take the edge off. And for whatever reason, I kept calling Evan Elvin. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Did you really? I was like Elvin Silva. Yeah, that's right. yeah. I did it like three or four times. And Pano with Joe Pano was like, what, what is this? Just like a fucking big dick power move. <laughs> you had the Evan Silva who has 90,000 more followers than you. And you just, you just like, yeah, that's a great point. Elvin. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I just yeah. one of yeah. one of my best friends in the industry, no one I look up to more, uh, the single greatest thing being in this industry, being a fantasy writer and analyst is getting those drunken 1 a.m. phone calls with Evan where you just <laughs> bullshit for like an hour, two hours. Uh, dude, thank you so much for coming on. We're, we're really excited to just talk some guys with you. Absolutely. And the, 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 the strong feelings are mutual with, with both of you guys. Um, so, but I, I came here to talk ball. So let's talk, <laughs> stop talking about me and let's talk about football. <laughs> All right. We'll get, we'll get to it, man. We'll get to it. Um, so we kind of like, we want to talk through, um, you know, we've been talking, Scott's with Scott and I've been talking to a number of guests, just going through a number of situations. Obviously it's training camp time. We've got preseason rolling around this week. Um, so we'll kind of just go through a couple positions and, and talk through a number of like kind of just interesting things as uh, camp cool. has been taking place. And we'll kind of reel it in with uh, with the news aspect. But let's get started with quarterbacks. Um, so off the top, man, um, Trey Lance has been just skyrocketing up draft boards for the past like month and a half. I, I, I listen. I've been listening to you for, for all offseason like normal. I know you've been on the Lance train. I've been on the Lance train. Scott's been on the Lance train. It feels like everybody's just kind of like correcting to where his ADP mm-hmm. should have been. Um, mm-hmm. At this point, like how high is too high for Lance? Like where where do you kind of have him in that like back end QB1 tier? You know, I'm doing an Apex Expert League draft right now with, I don't know, Sigmund Bloom's in there and um, a bunch of other people through you know throughout the industry and – um, I was just on the board in the 12th round and there are like a bunch of 
pretty solid pocket passer, uh, fringe QB ones available. Like Tom Brady was available, and he comes out the gates. He should he should be smoking against Dallas and Atlanta. Yeah. And in this league, it's very, you know, it's twelve teams and it's one quarterback, so you can absolutely stream. And even if you know, let's say start Brady starts to show signs signs of decline or whatever, or you know he runs into a patch of really tough matchups, you could just drop him, and like people won't even pick him up. Um, so. I, I like the idea of drafting Tom Brady and then just using him against Dallas and Atlanta, where he should be a top five quarterback in both of those weeks. And then his schedule stiffens a little bit and then just may, maybe moving on. Yeah. But I was like, you know, I think I could stream my way through weeks one and two anyways. And, and then I think Trey Lance is going to be in the lineup for San Francisco and Trey Lance, once his train gets moving, like, I don't think there's going to be any stopping it. Because the 49ers are dropping him into an offense where he can just take off right away. I mean, he's going to – I think he has a chance to have like a Cam Newton type of rookie season where Cam Newton was a top five fantasy quarterback uh, in his first year. And I think that his upside might even be higher than that if they can keep Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo healthy, which has been a challenge to this point. Right. But those guys are playmakers after the catch. I mean, they just, you know, Kyle will just di- just dial up high percentage passes to those guys, run Trey Lance when, you know, when, when he sees fit. And I think that Trey Lance can be an absolute monster in fantasy. So yeah. I wound up taking Trey Lance over, you know, Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford, guys that I do kind of like um, because I'm just – I'm looking for the upside and I'm willing to wait a few weeks if that's what it takes. At the same time, he might – get the start in week one and in that scenario, then I think I've gained a lot of equity, get to use him right away against Detroit in week one. So I think now is the time to, to draft Trey Lance. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, even though he, you know, his ADPs come screaming up the board here, like he's still, he's still a value. My guy that I've been kind of liking, um, and it'll be interesting to see if you do this in our draft in this apex league, the guy I kind of like pairing, uh, Lance with right now is Cousins. Uh, Vikings get the Bengals week one. Yes, uh, Cousins yes. should be in a great spot. Um, and if Burrow is is somewhat close to full health, then that game could uh, could uh, could shoot out there. So I think Cousins and Lance is kind of a good pairing. I'm with you on Brady and Lance, uh, Lance too. But yeah, I, I think man, it's just like it's a matter of time with Lance at this point. Uh, I'm with you. I think Cam Newton's rookie season is probably like the top end of his range of outcomes, but. Um, you know, last year it was, you know, Josh Allen was really like the only Konami code quarterback in like eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th round that had that like QB one, QB two overall upside. And I think Lance fits that bill pretty much perfectly. Um, on that same token, like where are you at on Justin Fields? Is there like a big gap between Lance and Fields because of Lance's supporting cast and the offensive line and everything? Is there a big gap for you between those two? Well, I think, I mean, it's, there's not a huge gap. I have Trey Lance right now, quarterback 12, although I'm going to have to move him up because I just drafted him as like the quarterback eight in, in that draft. And I, I like to be transparent with my readers. Right. And if I'm going to be making these decisions, then, you know, I, I'm going to build that into uh, my rankings and my tiers. Um, yeah. But right now I have Trey Lance quarterback 12 technically. And then Justin Fields, I think quarterback 16. Okay. So there's not a big gap. Um, you know, again, when, I don't I don't think I don't believe in the system and the weapons for Justin Fields quite to the extent that I do for Trey Lance. So that would be that would represent the gap. Okay. Um, 
but I, yeah, I mean, I definitely like Justin Fields and I, I think that you can take a similar tactic with him, uh, you know, grabbing a Kirk Cousins or Trevor Lawrence opens with a really nice schedule. Jalen Hurts opens with a I really nice schedule. I mean, you nice could go schedule. as low as and, Cam um, Newton and, at like ADP yeah. QB 35. Like, yes. he'll be fine for two weeks, three yeah, weeks. You know, Ryan yeah. Fitzpatrick. So and, my yeah, question. And, and Cam, Cam Newton has one of the softest schedules in the league uh, to open to versus Miami in week one is a little tough. But then at the Jets versus the Saints uh, versus the Bucks, that could be a shootout at Houston versus Dallas. So that, that those first six weeks are real nice for whoever's going to be under center for the Patriots, and it seems like it's going to be Cam. Mm-hmm. So there was a narrative uh, early in this offseason that late-round QB is dead because of the big five quarterbacks. They're all Konami code quarterbacks. You know, they're probably all going to finish top five. You have this massive ceiling, floor, week-to-week consistency. And so late-round QB supposedly dead, but I see so much value later on at the quarterback position that I'm almost never drafting the the top five quarterbacks. Are you kind of taking the same approach, Evan? Um, I just, I just think that there's a lot of different ways to, that you can win. And I mean, you could even go to the, the sort of middle range quarterbacks, um, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, um, Aaron Rodgers, I have in that group as well. And I think that you can win with those guys um, in the early rounds, like, you know, if I'm going to go early at quarterback, it's probably because I drafted like Tyreek Hill and then I'm, you know, at the 3-4 turn and I'm looking at Patrick Mahomes. Maybe I don't love the RBs that are available there and, you know, the, the top end wide receiver talent has been soaked up and, you know, Waller and Kittle are, are gone. And then I might look at Mahomes to pair with Tyreek or, or Kelsey in the first round. Like I'm going to let my, my early picks dictate how I, how I approach uh, my quarterback drafting in large part. But, you know, as I said, it's just just in this, you know, I'm going to be likelier to reach a round or two for Aaron Rodgers if I get Devontae Adams up top right. or, you know, Tyler Lockett. If I get, you know, him in the fourth, then I'm going to be likelier to, to uh, draft Russell Wilson in the seventh. Um, so I just I let my early picks dictate the strategy at quarterback. But like I said, just in this Apex League, went, w- waited pretty long. Uh, for a quarterback, and and, and I, I like what I'm going to be hopefully be able to build here uh, yeah. in the early part, and then and then as I extend, you know, creating that bridge to Trey Lance. Yeah, what I've noticed in in this year's Apex League is quarterbacks went off the board way earlier than they usually do. I mean, we mm-hmm. there were years in this draft, man. I'm sure you remember, like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, Mahomes would go in like the sixth, you know, Wilson would go in like the ninth, and now this year we've kind of seen. And I was a part of that. I took Lamar in the sixth once that running back and receiver pool dries up. And that's kind of the way I've been approaching is like if, you know, the backs dry up, if the receivers dry up and those mid rounds, I think it's like the perfect spot to take a Lamar, a a Josh Allen. Kyler's been dipping a little. I love Dak, too. So really just that whole that whole middle ground. But Lamar has kind of been my guy um, Mm -hmm. if I go that route there. Um, I want to ask you. He kind of goes at the end of that first quarterback tier. You know, and, and you could pair them up real easily. I mean, I think Mark Andrews goes a little bit too late. Yeah. No one wants Marquise Brown at this point because he's got the hamstring injury. Rashad Bateman is hurt. I don't know, I've backed off Lamar a little bit, but still, I mean, he's a guy that, um, you know, he doesn't need elite weaponry to be able to have like a top 10 floor. Yeah. Yeah, I think that top 10 floor is already baked in with the rushing. It's just mm-hmm. all about, you know, how big of a spike are you going to get with him as a passer? Mm-hmm. 
Um, before we move on to backs and start talking through those, uh, if you were on the clock and you have a choice between Tannehill and Lance and at that 12 turn, where would you have gone? Because Tannehill went to Reeves, I believe, in the 11th. Yeah, he did. I would have gone with Trey Lance. Ooh, baby. Yeah. All right. Just willing to shoot for the ceiling. I do like Tannehill. Okay. Um, I, I feel like, I don't know, on the show sheet it said, you know, what, why don't you like Tannehill? Well, I feel like I do like Tannehill. Yeah. I got him, I have him like quarterback 13, I believe. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's fairly aggressive for him. I think that their pass attempts are going to definitely go up, maybe significantly this year. Their defense is just – It's atrocious. They're going to be so bad on defense, number one. Number two, how committed to throwing the ball, you know, is Todd Downing going to be in relation to Arthur Smith? My guess is that, I mean, when when during his one year as the Raiders offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, they finished 30th in rush attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I you know I, I love the big dog, but, man, this dude has a lot of carries on his wheels. I mean, leading the NFL in, in rushing attempts back-to-back and then being able to continue to sustain health. Now, I mean, Derrick Henry has, like, never been hurt in his life. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a tough bet. But, I mean, I think that if he goes down for almost any amount of time, uh, we're going to see a complete change in the offense. Darrington Evans and Jeremy McNichols are going to be back there. And, um, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to run the ball yeah. successfully. They're going to have to throw the ball a lot. Ryan Tannehill is a legitimate dual threat. Um, you know, now, now they have more impetus to throw the ball more because they've got – you know, uh, an explosive number two receiver in Julio Jones and Josh Reynolds, I think, is a pretty solid third receiver. So I, I think their pass attempts are going to go up by like 100 at least. Yeah, that's my thing, too, is like, you know, talent, the mark of a good coach and Sigmund Bloom kind of alluded this on our last podcast that we did. Um, he alluded to like, you know, the mark of a good coach is just like letting your talent dictate where the ball goes. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing is like they added Julio, man. Like that is such a massive upgrade on Corey Davis and Davis had a great year last year, but yeah, think about this. Just how ridiculous is Derrick Henry? Like over the last two years, if you include the playoffs, he has 807 touches, 807. He's gone for over 4,400 scrimmage yards and scored uh, 37, I believe 37 TDs over the last two years. I mean, just just a monster, but yeah, like you said, even even dating back to his days in, at Uli in high school, man, he's just been always always handling huge workloads. So, uh, so let's transition to the backs. So, like, you know, you seem a little bit lower on Henry because of everything we just laid out with the Titans and their defense. And I Julio. I just yeah, just to yeah. add to that. So, in addition to like the the tread on his tires and the concerns there, the the biggest negative, uh, you know our thing to worry about with Henry for me is, is definitely game script. Like Tennessee dramatically overachieved last season. They won 11 games, which is 2.5 more there than their Vegas implied total. And Vegas is predicting, you know, a step back this year, just nine wins in a 17 game season. And so Henry through over the past three seasons averages 22 fantasy points per game and in, in wins but only 10.5 in losses. He's basically unstartable in losses. Mm-hmm. So if, if they just finish at exactly what Vegas is predicting, we should expect his fantasy points per game average to drop from 20.9 to 16.6. And if he finish two wins below that, Huge. 15.3. So that's a big concern with Henry and specifically those 
you know, game script dependent workhorse running backs who don't catch passes like a Nick Chubb, maybe Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if they finish just at what their Pythagorean expectation last year right. was, he probably loses a significant chunk off of what he, what off of uh, what he scored. So yeah, but, yeah I, I I'm, I'm below market on it. I mean, are, are you guys too? Yeah, thing- so I mean, he's fine in best ball, but start sit. I'm really gonna have near zero exposure, and then yeah. Silva, you and me, we're gonna be playing him, you know, heavy in DFS in weeks. Tennessee is heavily favored, and he'll make us a bunch of money there. But I think that's the smarter way to play him. Yeah. yeah, hell yeah. The one thing that that's a saving grace with Henry is that AFC South sucks. You know, like right, yeah, right. The Jags. Like I like the Jags to. I kind of like them to, to beat their win total a little bit, but I mean that that division's not very good. No, so that's it's the, really that's bad. The I mean, the Texans are the worst team in the league. The Colts, I, I know that there was a report out today that Wentz and Nelson are going to be ready for week one. But I don't think the Colts are going to be very good either way. I mean, Carson Wentz is not good. Like, this is not – and then he's going to be uh, restricted in terms of his mobility coming back from this foot injury. This is And, then, and, then, and he's going to be without – he's going to have Sam Tevy at left tackle. Yeah. So this is – I mean, this is problematic. And then if you look at their early season schedule – I mean, they're they're going to start slow. I think they're going to start like two and five. I mean, it, you're you're absolutely right. That's the big saving grace for for Derrick Henry and for the Titans in general. That the rest of the division is is bad. Yeah. Um. You actually, Graham, did you did you take Derrick Henry in this Apex draft? I, I forget. I did. I took him yeah. at RB four, and that was like so. Uh, like you know, I saw Denny and Mike Brody and freaking Sean or three, four, and five, and I got the eighth pick. I was like, oh, shit, I might actually be able to get a decent receiver. And then, of course, those guys went nuts on receivers. So, yeah, I got Henry and Eckler and then just, like, went nuts on receivers after that. Eckler, where you got him in the second round. Yeah, that could be nice. Robbery. Yeah, it could be nice. And that's a great pairing. I mean, that's a pairing that you very rarely will get as Henry Eckler these days. Like, Eckler's back in, back in the first round in 90% of drafts because – but, uh, you know, this, this league is just – different i mean sig took justin jefferson and aj brown at the uh one two turn um, everybody just goes nuts for receivers but um let's go let's get to talk through some backs some more um gotta ask you about saquon um you know he got cleared obviously this week which is fantastic um kind of was expected i think i think some of the dip on saquon has been a little bit uh not a, like just not efficient uh, i think people have kind of overreacted just a bit uh, but that being said, I mean, beyond his health, there's some significant some concerns with this Giants team beyond, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, Saquon's needs. You know, Jason Garrett, is Garrett going to be able to get all these pieces working together? Um, it's Daniel Jones. That's the offensive line. Uh, where are you at on Saquon right now? Um, I have him at RB9 and the number 15 overall player. Okay. Both of those are below market. Um you know, I mean, I, I love him as a player. I think his health is probably going to be okay early in the season, but the the indications from the Giants and not just the stuff that's coming from like Jordan Renan and Saquon himself, even that he might be eased in or, or not even play in week one. I'm less concerned about that. I'm le- more concerned with what the Giants have done here. They drafted Gary Brightwell. They signed Devontae Booker. They signed Corey Clement, who apparently is outplaying Devontae Booker. They signed Alfred Morris. You know who Jason Garrett just you know cannot stop. You know, he can't stop. He can, <laughs> cannot quit Alfred Morris. So they've like you know planned to ease him in. So when he goes in there, 
he's going to be like a committee back, not a full workload back in a, likely a bad offense that doesn't score many points. I just I keep coming back to it. why Scott Barrett as the resident Giants fan. I'm sorry, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, why did they not even consider upgrading on Jason Garrett at offensive court? It was just like, yo, we're bringing him back. There was never even a question. Never even a question. Yeah, I don't, no do you, do you have optimism here or, or what's the deal? No, and, and I'm like the all-time worst Giants fan. I have <laughs> season tickets for, you know, 15 years, diehard fan. But, uh, yeah, these days, like, I am – I love to root against my Giants, play guys in DFS <laughs> who are up against the Giants and, and make some money. Definitely that's where my rooting interests lie these days. Yeah, Garrett, definitely a concern. I like Saquon Barkley significantly more than you. Uh, I, I don't see there being too much of a threat with regard to a committee backfield like Corey Clement stinks, Devontae Booker stinks, all these guys stink. Yeah. They're not an all-time freak. And Saquon Barkley, who uh, is the closest thing to Christian McCaffrey when healthy, healthy uh, he's played on at least 77% of his team snaps in 27 of 31 career games. Like you talk about upside, it's it's really him and McCaffrey when healthy and, and maybe no one else. Uh, but the injury is a concern. That's that's my concern. I don't know if you guys watched the Dr. Chow's breakdown on Saquon, but he, he, he broke it down like this and it was hilarious and great and very evident. He was like, Saquon's right thigh is 10 times bigger than my right thigh, but his left thigh is only six times bigger than my left thigh. And it's true. Like you could just tell from looking at him practice, the massive difference there. And you have to think to make it more difficult to cut higher rate, higher risk of compensatory injuries. And so that's, that's where my concern with Mm -hmm. Saquon lies, but you, you could, you could throw in the, the donkey offensive coordinator. And if he were fully healthy, he'd, he'd be top three for me probably. Yes. Okay. I, I got to check out that video. Yeah. It's great. I, I got to see that too. But um, um, so yeah, last year without Barkley, Jason Garrett ran the ball on first down uh, on plays not in the fourth quarter or in the red zone. So Jason Garrett ran the ball on first down, uh, not in the fourth quarter or in the red zone, 57% of the time is the fifth highest rate in the league. Uh, Ravens and Titans led the league in, in run rate on first downs. How much are they going to do that with Barkley now, man? Like he's got his guy back. Like he is gonna, he's gonna, yeah. you know, he's gonna opt for those five, you know, four or five yard carries with Barkley on first down every time. Um, Scott, are you drinking milk? <laughs> it's a protein shake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, you know, maybe maybe Saquon needs to start drinking some more milk. Get that left thigh uh, measuring up to the, the right thigh. I mean, we're talking about bell cows, right? Oh, right. well done. Oh, well, well done. Derry uh, Sanders, Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> that, that's, that's a funny nickname. I, it never caught on, but it, it was it was pretty funny. Why didn't that ca- that should have caught on? That's like the it best thing. Have, Scott, you're great with the nicknames. That's that was by yeah. far your freaking uh, your freaking Mona Lisa of nicknames. Right? He still whips <laughs> it out every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll whip it out. Yeah. One final point <laughs> I want to make on Barkley is uh, he's not like a Henry or Taylor or Chubb back that you were alluding to, Scott. I mean, like in losses, Saquon splits. You know, he loses like three to four fantasy points per game, but it's not like a massive ten to twelve point drop. Like he's going to get his targets. So that's that is the other saving grace. Like the Giants suck. Uh, the Giants suck, Saquon. 
people get fed still. Um, all right, let's. I mean, he played. He played one game last year, and he saw 15 carries, nine yeah. targets. Yeah. Brutal yeah. game script. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the upside. You know, he's, honestly, he's honestly, we, we don't really care if the Giants suck. Would, I mean, if they win five games, that's completely fine. Are you guys taking him over Jonathan Taylor? Yes. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, how about Eckler? I, I am. I mean, I get the argument, but I think uh, it's really I, close. I think I'm I'm with Barkley. I think I'm with Scott on Barkley there too. Yeah, I'm definitely. Well, taking- why don't you sell us on on Eckler? Because I know you're a big time Eckler guy this year. <clears throat> I mean, I I think he can catch ninety balls. Um, you know, and, and that's really where it starts. I mean, he, you know, the the OC Joe Lombardi has the history with Austin uh, with Alvin Kamara has already compared Austin Eckler and how he's going to use him to Alvin Kamara. Um, I think that the offense has a chance to score a lot of points. You know, they're getting everybody back. Plus, they, I mean, they did a bang-up job improving their offensive line. Rashawn Slater, uh, Bulaga is back. Uh, the center, Corey Lindsay, one of the best centers in the league. Uh, Matt Filer, a solid left guard. I was talking, we did a podcast with Brandon Thorne, who I think is the best offensive line analyst in media. He was talking about up Ode Abushi, uh, their right guard. So, all of a sudden... They might have five good offensive linemen. When was the last time a Chargers – I mean, they, they put Phillip Rivers through the through the wars, man. I mean, this guy didn't have – you know, he had a good offensive line, I think, early in his career. But for the last 10 years, offensive line was pretty bad. My, did my, an amazing job of masking it. But go ahead. My question is how much does that really matter with Austin Eckler – in yeah. the sense that he's not going to be getting I goal think it line matters carries. for the for the entirety of the offense. Like yeah. they okay, are probably but... not going to run as many plays as they did last year, so they're going to have to in, improve their efficiency to compensate for the loss of play volume. And I mean, I, I think that they have a chance to be at least just as efficient, if not more efficient. And uh, you know, due to the uh, the offensive line improvements, Mike Williams is healthy, Keenan Allen is healthy. Um, you know, Justin Herbert, like he was out there playing in in acne last year. You know, he's got pimples all over his body <laughs> and he's balling out of control. They didn't even want him to start. Yeah. You know, yeah. they had so, to stab the guy. It took Tyrod yeah, Taylor. Yeah, they, they had to stab the guy in had front to, of him. Tyrod Taylor literally Herbert, had to take like, literally yeah, stabbed that, him. That doctor is like the hero of all heroes in <laughs> Los Angeles really Chargers is. history. He was like, these guys are idiots. Justin Herbert is so much better. Let me take one for the team and get medically disbarred by stabbing this guy. Um, yeah, I mean, you can make a counter argument, though. Maybe it's a slight reach that a better offensive line is actually a detriment to Austin Eckler. You know, Justin Herbert feeling the pressure less. He's less of a check down Charlie, you know, hitting his safety valve mm-hmm. running back. He's he's going farther down the field. But th- like, that's sort of what I'm doing with Eckler, right? Just keep making these nitpicky arguments like Joe Lombardi, I think is a donkey, mm. you know, he, yeah. he misused Reggie yeah. Bush and Darren yeah. Sproles. Um, yeah. Maybe it's a, a, an annoying committee where, where, where Eckler only gets like five carries per game. But again, it does feel nitpicky when at the end of the day, this guy's Kamara light and yeah. you know, he, he ranked fifth in fantasy points per game, XFP per game last year when healthy, despite, you know, not actually being healthy and only scoring, what, one rushing touchdown, so. Well, my, to, to your Lombardi point, Scott, I mean, he might be a donkey, but in that one year where he was the OC of the Lions, you know, so he, he was the OC of the Lions, they went 11-5, and five, made the playoffs, but it was like a total farce. Like, their offense was in the bottom 10 and 12 of most efficiency metrics, but in that season, 
I mean, he fed his Stafford fed his running backs. He led uh, Stafford led all all quarterbacks and targets to the running backs. The running backs were in tight yeah, yeah, second yes. receptions. But that's the thing. It's like I, they don't really have anywhere else to go with the ball. I mean, it's it's Keenan. Yeah, it's Mike and, and that aligns with Joe Lombardi's you know uh, affiliation with Sean Payton. Yep. Where yep. every year, you know, it's in large part due to Drew Brees and the way that he plays. But still, like they absolutely make it a priority to feed their running backs in the passing game because they think it's such an efficient play, yeah. which it is. Even though some some analytics people are, are anti-running back passes, they just think you should chuck the ball downfield 40 yards on every play. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you when you have a guy like Alvin Kamara who can turn, you know, a minus yard A dot into a 14-yard gain routinely, you know, I mean, I don't know routinely, but, yeah. you know, often – I mean, I, I think that throwing the football to – and Austin Eckler is, is very similar in that thing. Yeah. No. It, yeah. So, so those analytics guys, like, just totally miss the point. Like, who are the best offensive coaches in football? It's Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, Sean Payton. Who targets the running back more often than yeah, any of their coaches? Yeah. Those three guys. Yeah, it doesn't factor in, okay, the quarterback was going to take a sack, but instead gets it off to the running back who gains three yards. That's right. a negative EPA play, but – what would happen yeah, if it was a sack right, or what exactly. have you? But um, anyway, I mean, I, so, I think that some of the ways that they, some of the ways that, ways that they do analysis is like they're not accounting for that. Like it's a for nuance and complexity. Four down possession. The missing part is the context. Like they're some, just looking. They just think that you, hey, you need every time just the maximum EPA yeah. on every single play, as opposed to understand that you know you also have to kind of move the chains. Exactly. You know, you have to keep the chains moving so that you can get to a situation where you can throw the ball downfield with comfort right. 40 yards, you know, off play action, which of course just, is, you know, just, a great, great play for EPA. But yeah. I mean, you, you have to keep the chains moving. Yeah. And to Scott's point about I, sacks and stuff and checking down to backs, like, you know, if a sack on a second and seven play, a sack of eight yards is basically a turnover. Like very, very mm-hmm. rarely are you going to get a third and 18, a third and 18 first down. Like that is basically a sacks are essentially turnovers on second downs, especially, you know, so that, that's that's the other aspect is like you can't you can't just chuck the ball to your receivers and tight ends on every play and yeah I mean in general of course like running backs are going to average fewer yards per reception a fewer you know you know lower EPA than than receivers I mean that's just the nature of the target but it doesn't factor in that missing context we're talking about um, all right so you know, just of, real quick yeah. I just wanted to make a point on Joe Lombardi he did you know, really heavily utilize his running backs, but it was a disgusting three-way committee where Joyke Bell was the lead back at like 46% of the work, Reggie Bush, 28%, Theo Riddick, 19%. And so Lombardi compared Eckler to Kamara, but he also compared him to Reggie Bush and Darren Sproles. Sproles averaged 4.3 carries per game under Lombardi. And then Reggie Bush, he was averaging 15.9 in Detroit. The next year, Lombardi comes over, that falls to 6.9. So that's my big fear with Eckler. But again, it does feel very nitpicky. And uh, and at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's probably a, a good play. Yeah. The thing is, is like, you know, they drafted Joshua Kelly's replacement, Larry Roundtree. Josh Kelly was one of the worst backs in the league mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, you was. know, so like, you know, I, I think that's the one thing with Eckler is like, sure, he's probably not going to be a, a volume back where he gets 16 carries like, you know, Kamara has the upside for. But on the same token, like Roundtree and Kelly and these guys are the other Jags. Um, all right. So, uh, you know, let's talk about a back who doesn't necessarily have the best projection for uh, for receptions and targets, and that's Darrell Henderson, man. Um, so obviously Cam Akers, uh, devastating injuries out for the year. 
Um, but everything we've heard for, about Darrell Henderson, at least all the comments Sean McVay has said, and, and Sean McVay, for what it's worth, has always never been very truthful to the media uh, about uh, his players or his playing time. Uh, so we got to you know kind of put that tinfoil hat on him. But on the same token, um, every time McVay has talked about Henderson, he's like, yeah, he can be a three down back for us. But on the same side, like we got to keep him fresh. We got to keep him healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to find some some sort of mix where you can get him on the field for the right number of snaps. And when Akers got hurt with that really bad rib issue in week two last year and Henderson played, um, you know, those five starts, uh, it was, it was, he split snaps right down the middle with Malcolm Brown. It was, you know, literally 50, 50 in terms of snaps. So now Darrell Henderson shares the backfield. Malcolm Brown's not not there anymore, but he's going to, it'll be some sort of split with either Jake Funk, Xavier, Xavier Jones, or, or perhaps, uh, you know, you know, a guy that gets cut here and camp cut downs the next couple of weeks. Henderson is probably not going to be a three down back, but how much, you know, how, how, in your opinion, Evan, what is like 60% of the, you know, the role in the backfield there for the Rams? Like, what is that worth? Where, where do you have them in relation to the backs and also like the receivers that go in his ADP range? So I've kind of progressed in my take on Daryl Henderson and, <laughs> At first, right after the Cam Akers injury, I mean, you know, we got Leone's telling me, oh, he should be like, you know, a second or third round pick. And I'm like, they're going to add someone. You know, their number two running back right now is a second year undrafted free agent who did well to make the active roster. It was impressive that Xavier Jones made the active roster as an undrafted free agent in a year with no preseason and, and very little. I mean, th- this is a dude that we would have been playing in normal years in preseason DFS. We didn't even get to see a glimpse of Xavier Jones, and then the third, uh, the third running back would have been uh, is Jake Funk, who had like 150 career touches in college, like played linebacker for part of his you know college career. So, I mean, I was like, they they have to add another back, and I still think that they probably will, but there have been some indications that they might not. They really have talked up Xavier Jones. Uh, Daryl Henderson, they're not going to play at all in the preseason. Like they're putting him in, um, you know, in bubble wrap along with Matthew Stafford. That speaks, I think, to the fact that they are going to be leaning on him as the clear feature back. Now, not uh, not a bell cow, but as the the lead back of you know in in a backfield where they mix a couple other guys in. And I think that they might add like you know a Benny Snell type uh, at, at at final cuts or or maybe even trade. I mean they they're one of the most willing teams to trade draft picks uh, in the entire league. So we could definitely see them make a trade. Um, But I think Daryl Henderson, initially I was looking at maybe 15 touches a game. And so I had him in that Kareem Hunt range. Kareem Hunt averaged 14.8 touches per game last year. But I think I, but I've upped my my expectations to around 17 to 18 touches per game and moved him from RB 25 to RB 18 and I took him in the Apex League. Uh, I think it was yeah. in the the, uh, the fifth round. Yeah. So I, I've um, yeah, I'm, I'm higher on Daryl Henderson than I was a couple of weeks ago. I still do think they're going to add another back, but probably not going to be a very good back. Yeah, they kind of have to, man. Like they just yeah. And you know, Jake Funk was behind freaking Javon Leak two years ago. That's right. You know, when Maryland, you know, had that split with Leak and Anthony McFarland. They only played a couple games last year because of COVID. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. They got to add somebody. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. I've got we've got Henderson on the site. We've got Henderson around like that RB eighteen, RB nineteen range. I think that's kind of like the sweet spot for him. Um, 
All right, okay. so yeah. you know you've got Darrell, Darrell Henderson's back end of the the RB twos. Um, want to talk to you about DeAndre Swift, another back with kind of like a murky ish role, um, just on a significantly worse team than the Rams, of course. Um, like where you know I think DeAndre Swift has probably been like the hardest guy for me to figure out. I know Scott and I've gone back and forth on him quite a bit, just like uh, exchanging messages between you know Swift and Montgomery, Swift and Sanders. Uh, where, where are you at on Swift right now? He is, I think, RB20 right now for me. Um, but I, I'm with you. I think he's a tough guy to figure out. Is he the t- a talented enough back to overcome his situation? Number one. Number two, how much is Jamal Williams going to eat into his workload? I, I think that actually the, the, the latter question is a bigger deal. Because Jamal Williams, you know, even going up against Aaron Jones, who I think is a probably a, maybe maybe one of the five most talented backs in the league, ate into his touches, 11 touches per game over the past few seasons. And he's a guy that coaches love. And, you know, this coaching staff, Anthony Lynn and Dan Campbell and Dom Capers, and um, they have like the most boomer <laughs> coaching staff and like, and really, front office. Um, they've got John Dorsey there. You know, the just football guys. You know, hardcore foot like hate Sashi. You know, absolutely hate Sashi. <laughs> are are so pissed that the Browns are now good. You know, they can't believe it. And um, you know, but they, I think that they, you know, they they are the the types to kind of cling to a player like Jamal Williams and keep him working because I mean he. You know, he's like loved by teammates. He will pass block. You know, he's going to get every inch that's blocked for him, probably not add very much onto it, onto it. You know, he's not – he would probably not be a yards created star, but he would be a guy that, um, you know, gets what's blocked and, you know, he, he, he doesn't drop passes and, you know, all the, all these things that really appeal to coaches. Yeah, well, the one thing that also will appeal, and we know like old school football coaches love this, is he's a great pass blocker. Like that was one of the things yes. that always got him on the field with Rodgers is he's a very, yep. very good pass blocker. Um, yeah, I'm with you. By the way, uh, did you guys see that video? Uh, it was a press conference a couple of days with Dan Campbell, and he's explaining to the media what he drinks like in his coffee every morning. He goes to Starbucks, yeah. and he gets a, a freaking 20-ounce iced coffee, doubles it up with, with a shot, and he gets two of those things. It's like a 1,000 milligrams of caffeine. He's like – Coming to the office, freaking shaking, <laughs> walking into the walking into the building. Dude's dude, just a total, total lunatic. Uh, it's probably why he's trying to bite off people's kneecaps because he's so freaking jittery. All that fucking caffeine, but um, yeah, um, yeah, man. Swift, Swift is so tough, so so tough. Such a tough like thing to figure out because like on the on the on the flip side of all the negative, like he has that one saving grace as a great pass catcher that yeah. can really elevate his ceiling and especially if the lions stink like i made this i made this point a couple weeks ago you know the lions win totals like five and a half five right now you know top 15 running backs in fantasy very rarely are on teams on on bad teams that only win like five or six games like the last couple of years it's been like 20 to 25 percent of the top 15 backs are on teams Better on uh on teams that you know win five or fewer games. You know Swift directly fits that category. But on the same side, the backs that overcome those bad teams are the ones that are in Swift's archetype. They they catch a bunch of passes. So it's just such a, a catch twenty two. And I think 
you know, man, I mean, he's, he's slipping to a point now where I've seen him go in the back end of the third round, early fourth round. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's, there's a point where Swift, you know, you kind of just ignore, ignore some yep. of the negatives and just take in, you know, that floor of, you know, probably 60 to 80 targets. Um, all right. So before we talk through receivers, um, let's talk quickly about Niners backs. Um, I know you've, you've got a pretty strong sermon take, so I'll let you have the floor on, on, on Sermon and Mostert in this backfield here. Yeah, I mean, I felt like it was a, a strong take at one point, but now, like, <laughs> everybody true. is, like, on board with, with Sermon. So, true. Um, I, I think that actually I'm below ADP at this point on him. But I have and, – and, and I've started to pivot to drafting Mostert because, um, because people are now on Trey Sermon. So – I mean, I just took uh, in in our in our Apex draft. I think I got Mostert uh, in the ninth round or, or the tenth round, and uh, as my RB four, I felt really good about it. Raheem Mostert. Is really really explosive. When he was healthy last year, that dude was scary. I mean, you know the next gen stat stuff. I know it does it doesn't necessarily translate to fantasy production, but you know he like each week that he would get a significant number of touches. Like he's up there with Tyreek Hill you know, in terms of like his speed and his breakaway speed. And when they would get him involved in the passing game, like good night, you know, I mean, this dude is really, really explosive. And I I think that he's a really good pick at this point. I think he's like a screaming value pick, maybe, you know, maybe one of the best picks on the board for where his ADP is right now. Whereas Trey Sermon, I think usually goes a few picks before I, I I'm even willing to take him. And I, I again, I, I thought that I opened really aggressively on him. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, you had a pretty good take on most and sermon too. Uh, are you still on, you still on both of those guys or, or uh, as your thinking changed? I know it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I like a uh, uh, monster a lot, uh, <clears throat> a little bit more than sermon, but he's actually going cheaper. So definitely winds up with a lot more of him, but I, yeah. I think he's good. I just think he's, he ranks second best all time in career yards yeah. for carry just ahead of Bo Jackson. Um, Jesus. Uh, he averaged over 20. Whenever you say that. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Right. Yeah. Uh, he averaged over 20 fantasy points per game over like his last nine games, two years ago. And then uh, last year before his first of two IR trips, he was averaging like 22 fantasy points per four quarters, despite like multiple, multiple injuries. So it's just a matter of like him staying healthy. He's, he's, he's the RB one per the beat writers, although Sermon's definitely impressing. Yeah. And then the argument for Sermon's basically the argument against Moster, which is just that the guy can't stay healthy. Yeah. I do think, you know, you give these guys perfect health for 17 games. This is the exact duo Shanahan wants. Like Sermon is like the inside grinder type where he's going to, you know, always get what's blocked and then some, and he's like super, like Sermon has very good feet, like very sneakily elusive. Like it's not like a start sopped type of thing, like type of thing like Saquon Barkley can do, but Sermon is, is like sneaky elusive. And then, you know, like we just talked about, I mean, most stare just is perfect outside zone house, you know, house call runner. So yeah, I, th- I think we're going to be looking at a, a direct timeshare all year and, I think we kind of all feel the same way that you just take, take the cheaper of these two guys because, um, you know, neither one are going to catch a bunch of passes too once Lance comes in. I mean, Lance is gonna and I think they're going to run the ball yeah. so so voluminously and yeah. so efficiently that there are going to be games where these guys both are at least RB2s. Like maybe one guy's an RB1, one guy's like a, a flex caliber play mm-hmm. in a given week. Um, you know, maybe maybe they're both RB1s in a given week a couple a couple times per, you know, per year. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that they're going to have an awesome running game, especially as soon as Trey Lance gets in there. They they're going to be kicking ass. Yeah. On the ground. Yeah, that offense, man. They're gonna they're gonna Shanahan's gonna quickly transition back to that RG three plus offense. Yes. That's that's what we're looking at. That's and man, that RG three offense, they, they had nothing in terms of talent in comparison oh, to what no. this San Francisco. I mean, they're out there throwing a Leonard Hankerson and Aldrick Robinson. Yeah. You know, and um, who else? They I think they had Garcon a little bit yeah. for a little bit. He was okay. I was a big None of these guys guy. are even, you know, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Devo Samuel. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. The Niners, Niners offense is uh, they're gonna fuck. I mean, at this point blank, they're, that offense is gonna go nuts. Um, all right, so let's talk some receivers here. Um, you know, we got. Let's start here. Let's start with the Cowboys because Amari Cooper just got uh, elevated off the PUP list. I've been pretty concerned. We we talked to our our uh, resident injury expert, Doctor Edward Porras, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, and he was you know kind of mentioning like, man, like this Cooper ankle injury is weird. Like he had surgery in January. He should not be having you know any bone or, or tendon structural problems um, into you know July and, and August, but he did. Cooper did get elevated um, off the PUP list. Great sign. He's got a month to get right before opening day. Uh, you know, we've seen ADP flip. I mean, pretty much consistently all offseason, it was Cooper uh, going like wide receiver nine, wide receiver 10, then Lamb like 14, 15. That's flipped. So now Lamb is the lead guy. Mm-hmm. Cooper's the two. Um, you know, how first and foremost, how concerned are you with, with Cooper's injury given his history of like foot and ankle issues? And, and where do you have him vis-a-vis Lamb? Never moved uh, Amari Cooper down. He does this every year. I mean, it, it was two years ago that he missed all of training camp with plantar fasciitis, and people were like, you know, going nuts over it, and, and like they would, they refused to draft him. He started going like fourth, fifth round, and just got him on like all the teams, and he crushed. And there was never really a problem. I mean, they the, the thing is that these teams know the issues with these players, and they know how to manage the players. Mark Cooper does not need to practice. He has, you know, unbelievable chemistry with Dak. You know, look at the career splits with Dak and without. I mean, it's just so, so stark uh, in favor of his time with Dak Prescott. I mean, he's become a pretty consistent player. I know that early in his career, Scott especially was, you know, uh, apt at pointing out how inconsistent he was. I mean, he had a pretty consistent year, all, all things considered, last year, especially playing without Dak. I mean, he was a reliable, like, 12, 14, 16 point scorer, even with Andy Dalton in there. And um, so I I never backed off him. He's like a top 12 receiver. I did move CD Lamb up, though, into the wide receiver 10 range. I think that he could be like in prime, in his prime, Larry Fitzgerald, that that sort of player as a a big physical run after catch stud slot receiver who is going to play a little bit outside more. But I think that's good for him because it'll get him on the field more. He only played 65% yep. of the Cowboys' offensive yep. snaps last year. I think he could get up into the 80% range this season. So just really high on both guys. My biggest concern right now is Dak Prescott's injury, but it sounds like he's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, Glazer made it seem like uh, – Glazer had a report before the Hall of Fame game. He made it seem like it's like more of like a baseball-type injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess they're just really just trying to manage it, you know, which – pretty obvious at this point coming off that ankle um but yeah I just think man I mean last year you know last year in those five games that Dak played 
the Cowboys were trailing on like 80% of their snaps. Mm -hmm. And just for context, like trailing on 80% of your snaps, that's how often the Jags trailed last year. I mean, we know how shitty the Jags were. And that Cowboys team, were their, their defense was just atrocious. And they spent this whole offseason uh, trying to remedy that. And I, I think they will. I think they're going to at least be league, you know closer to league average. So I do think Dallas is going to throw a little bit less and probably not have to push the pace so much this year. But, man, everything is just so like it's just so sick. Like the setup is so sick for, for Cooper, Lamb, and, and Gallup too. Um, that's one thing I've been keeping close eye on. And I kind of wish we were going to get like a full game of Cowboys, like just like, a, I don't know, a couple drives of Cowboys healthy, but we're not going to get it in the preseason. That's one of the things I've been I've been looking at is like they're, they're moving Gallup around too. Gallup only went inside on 6% of his slot uh, snaps last year. He was in the slot just 6% of the time. Uh, so getting Gallup in the slot, like even like 25, 30% of the time, giving him a few more like easy access type of plays. Um, I mean, I think it just sets up well for, for all three of these guys here. Um, okay. Michael Thomas, man. I mean, he just keeps sliding and sliding. Um, I got my first, uh, my first taste of Michael Thomas this off season. He slid all the way down to like wide receiver 52, 53 in a draft sharks, uh, best ball invitational I did a couple weeks ago. That's the deepest I've seen him go. Um, but at this point it just, Evan, I mean, it feels like the vibes around MT and the saints are just like nuclear at this point. Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't draft him. Yeah, I mean I, I think that seventeen zeros is on the table here. Wow, this is not looking good. Um, and I mean I I feel like he's veering toward conduct detri- detrimental to the team potentially. Um, I just you know now the trade rumors are starting. They can't trade him. I mean look at his look at his dead money and look at his and they don't really they don't even gain. I mean I, they can't. It's, it's a really difficult situation, I think, uh, for for the team. And I've heard that they uh, that Sean Payton is to the point where he's just totally fed up with Michael Thomas, and he actually wants to prove that he can win with a bunch of scrub wide receivers. Yeah, and potentially two scrub quarterbacks too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Payton, Payton, Payton man, he, he doesn't mince words, though. He, uh, right. he, he's, always shoot, uh, he's always shooting straight. But yeah, I mean, that, that was my thing. Yeah. When we were, you know, we were talking about this as a group when the injury, you know, we first learned about this, this newest surgery and the, the timetable, it's like, man, like, you know, we're going year two of Thomas's injury at this point. Who's to say that like, yeah, he's, you know, close enough to play in like October and November, but because he's on year two and because he wants to protect himself, like who's to say he doesn't just like sit. And also who's to say that like the saints, you know, they could very well start, you know, a, you know, well above 500, start out five and two, five and three, six and three, something like that. They just don't rush Thomas back. So yeah, I'm with you. Only at the only at the deepest uh, discounts am I am I taking Thomas right now, um, Scott? Where where are you at on Thomas? Because we haven't talked about him in a bit. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a great point. I think you know if he falls to round nine or whatever in an FFPC league where you have to finish first no, of no no no. no. 6,000 teams. I get 19. That <laughs> 19. Damn. So last I, it is, it is very weird. Like he was, he should have gotten good, that. In February. You, Scott, Scott, you asked me a question before the show. Yeah. You remember the question that you asked? Yeah. Me? Yeah. This is okay. Okay. This, this All right. All right. We'll All right. Then, then we have our answer. Yeah. We'll leave Trust it Silva. <laughs> we'll leave it at that there. <laughs> um, 
All right, so let's stick with the NFC South here. Talk through some Bucks receivers because I think they're super interesting. The way these guys are yeah. going to drafts, like because they have like seven starting caliber wide receivers on their unbelievable freaking... dude. Have you have you it's, ever it's, seen a team? You know, people keep focusing. I mean, they're people they're... keep focusing on bringing back twenty two of twenty two starters, which is great. Their depth is insane. It's unbelievable. I mean, they they're the most talented roster I think, bar none, in the NFL right now. Yeah, it's not close. I mean, like. My God, man, like Scotty Miller, like he was pretty damn good in the playoffs last year. Really good. He would be a very good rotational player for a team like the Rams or something like that. Like he would play a ton, but man, they're just loaded. Um, All right. So let's talk, let's talk through the key guys though. Like Evans, Godwin are typically going like that fourth round range. Evans usually goes before Godwin and then you get the big dip with AB. Um, Where is there, let's start here. Is there a big gap for you with Evans and Godwin? Um, there's a little bit of a gap. I think I have Mike Evans, like wide receiver 15 and Godwin, like wide receiver 19. Um, but I, I've, I've, I've really been starting to think recently about uh, flip-flopping them, not to get Evans to wide receiver 19, but to move him down and move Godwin ahead of him. Um, cause Evans is just so touchdown driven and he's probably going to regress a little bit off 13 TDs from last year. And I think that Godwin and Brady, when 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 Godwin was healthy, they showed a pretty good rapport last season. And um, and then you move down to Antonio Brown. He's a guy that I've really been trying to stay ahead of ADP consensus on, and he keeps creeping up. So you got to keep moving him up. Um, but you know, he's if 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 one of those guys ahead of him goes down, which you know they they both had injury instances in the past, Godwin and Evans, then Antonio Brown like you know cleared for liftoff. And he might, and, and he, he was pretty, uh, he was a decent floor play last year, even though he was jumping in cold and playing behind Evans and Godwin for most of the time. So I think Antonio Brown is actually a really good pick and someone that I want to, I, I want to kind of prioritize in the middle rounds. I don't know. What do you, what do you, what are you thinking, Scott? Sorry, who were we talking about? AB and, uh, and Evans and Godwin. Yeah, so I, I, I'm kind of just oh, steering. You're, you're just finishing up that gallon of milk. Yeah, you caught me slipping. I'm, I'm just steering clear of uh, Tampa Bay's wide receivers just because I have no idea how this is going to shake out. If you look at when Antonio Brown was healthy, he, he was basically seeing the exact same target share as Chris Godwin and Mike Edward, uh, Evans, where it's this like gross – perfectly even three-way split and then Rob Gronkowski scoring some touchdowns. So I, I end up not drafting a lot of these guys and, you know, you know, Godwin could be uh, a high-end wide receiver one. Evans could be a high-end wide receiver one. Yeah. Antonio Brown could be back to the Antonio Brown of old. I, we, we just don't really know. And I, I'm kind of just steering clear of all these guys as a result. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is like, there's going to be the weeks where it's an Evans week. It's going to be a Godwin mm-hmm. week. My biggest concern, I was talking to our guy Tom Brawley about this uh, a couple weeks ago when we were doing our franchise focus stuff, and he made a good point about Godwin. Like, you know, Evans has that locked in. He's going to get the deep targets. He's going to get the end zone stuff. AB is, you know, kind of a mix of all three. You know, he's going to line up outside. They're going to move him in the slot some, whereas Godwin is, like, strictly slot. Like, he might just be, like, strictly in between the, you know, in between the 20s player, which is fine. I mean, you can – you know, we, how many times did we see Tyler Boyd with Joe Burrow last year catch seven balls for 90 yards and be a, a strong wide receiver too without scoring? That being said, man, I mean, the Bucks, man, I mean, 
they throw a ton. They were, you know, top five in adjusting. You know, once you adjust for game script, they were top five in pass rate last year in all game situations. But I mean, they've got three guys that are going to be in that 17, 18, 19, 21% target share range. And there's going to be weeks where, you know, Godwin is just like an afterthought because he does not get those high value targets like Evans, uh, Evans does. But yeah, it's, it's tough, man. That's definitely. Who would you rather have as your starting uh, three receiver set? Tyrell Williams, Rashad Perryman, and Amon Ra St. Brown, or Scotty Miller, uh, Tyler Johnson, and um, <laughs> and uh, Jalen Darden or, or uh, uh, Justin Watson. You could pick. Yeah, from those two. that's great. I know. I, honestly, it's close enough. Like, I would still the probably- second team. <laughs> the receiver set for the Bucks. I know it's crazy. I would probably just give the the slight edge to the lines because Perriman and Williams are like speedsters. But man, I mean, like yeah. Yeah, that is it's that's how it is, man. I mean, Cameron Brait. Man, Cameron Brait would start as as a number two tight end on pretty much Tanner Hudson, team. bro. Yeah, I mean Tanner Hudson, all freaking good, all freaking good. Um, all right, so Bucks receivers wanted to also talk to you about Broncos receivers because um, I think I think it's kind of a similar situation with kind of a murky target share. Uh, between all their guys. And we can kind of throw Noah Fan into this too. Um, so Sutton's coming off the ACL. There's that one like kind of negative report we saw like come out like the first week of camp that you know, Sutton just kind of doesn't look right. But ever since then, I've read nothing but positive news about Sutton. So I think that was just like one beat writer's bad opinion. And maybe Sutton just was knocking off some dust. Uh, Sutton is also like right in that prime spot, like nine, 10 months removed from the ACL. So Sutton... First Judy, first Fant, like where where are you kind of at with these Broncos guys? And like, is the biggest question of all like who starts? Because Drew Locke was was awful last year. Yeah, my um, my qualitative analysis here is that uh, Drew Locke is better for Cortland Sutton. It's based a little bit in, in data because if you go back to Drew Locke's five starts in 2019 before Cortland Sutton, his season last year was a wash. But in 2019. Drew Locke targeted Cortland Sutton more than any other Broncos pass catcher. You know, Cortland Sutton led the team in like at all receiving categories during Drew Locke's five starts. Um, but it's mainly because the qualitative analysis is, is that Drew Locke is willing to be like a downfield chucker yeah. and Cortland Sutton is like a 50-50 ball winner, whereas Jerry Judy is like a true separator and Teddy Bridgewater needs to see it come open before he throws it and he's going to be a little bit less willing to just chuck it downfield and hope that Cortland Sutton wins. Whereas Drew Locke is a little bit more degath. So I think that, and I, and I think that Bridgewater just fits the, the complexion of the Denver offense, the Denver team, because they're going to have a really good defense. Um, you know, Von Miller's back. They've got shoot four starting caliber cornerbacks and Ronald Darby and Bryce Callahan and Patrick Sertan and, um, you know, the, they're, they're, uh, they're, I think they're going to have a really strong uh, pass rush and secondary, and that's a great combo to have. And Vic Fangio, just one of the best, you know, uh, the, the biggest uh, defensive masterminds in the NFL. That's been the case for a long time. They, they've got a really good offensive line under Mike Munchak. They've got skill position talent. They've got, um, you know, Noah Fant. I think he's only 23 going into his third year. And I think they're going to they they're going to go with the caretaker, and I think that's more Teddy Bridgewater than Drew Locke, who last year in only 13 starts led the NFL in interceptions, fumbled a bunch of times. So I think it's going to be Bridgewater, and I have Judy 
significantly ahead of Cortland Sutton in the rankings. Yeah, I, I see it. I, I see it the same exact way. Go ahead, Scott. Though. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Evan. I think you broke that down beautifully, perfectly, uh, the same way as I see it. I was talking to one of my buddies at PFF, uh, who was tasked with uh, the obligation of charting all receivers on every single route, not just targeted routes. And he told me on non-targeted routes, Jerry Judy easily led the league in uh, percentage of routes run deemed open by PFF charting. But on targeted throws, Judy was below average. And I'm like, wait, so what does that mean? He was like, it means Drew Locke is one of the dumbest quarterbacks in football. He's only targeting him when he's not open and he's open the entirety, like the rest of the time. And when he throws it, it, it's just like a duck. So it gives the cornerback time to like regain their footing or what have you. Uh, So it's just funny. Yeah. There's no way quarterback play is going to be as bad as it was last year. We were talking, uh, Scott and I were talking about uh, Judy a couple weeks ago and he was like, how do I quantify if Judy's good or not? I think he just did with that. That analysis, but yeah, I mean, Locke is just so bad, man. Like last yeah, year, that forty-six percent catch rate yeah. uh, on paper looks like what the hell was going on last year? And then everybody points Jared to the Judy. drops, man, and it's like, okay, right. that's a, that's like mental mistakes that Judy it's was twelve making. drops, which is a lot, yeah. but that's twelve plays out of nine hundred. Yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, Greg Cosell has talked about this too, like. Judy mm-hmm. did not have any semblance of drop problems in Alabama. Like he was always mm-hmm. very, very shorthanded. But, but yeah, um, I'm with you. I think I think they're going to play Bridgewater because that's the way they they want to play. It's just conservative. Um, uh, we'll see if Scott can can pop back in here. But let's quickly. The only really tight end situation I want to talk to you about because it's so straightforward. Uh, tight end that is. I, I want to talk to you about Pitts. Uh, we've been asking, we asked Sigmund Bloom about Pitts a couple, uh, a couple days ago. And he, he's like the number one Kyle Pitts truther. I'm pretty sure he's got like all the Pitts jerseys in the different colors. Um, all right. So, you know, we know where Pitts and Hawkinson and Andrews stand. Um, I want to know where you're taking Pitts relative to the receivers in his ADP range. Where are you taking him around like Adam Thielen and those guys? It's just, it's a tough question to answer because I play in like a lot of different formats and, I do a lot of FFPC and then I do a lot of, you know, just traditional scoring. And it's so dependent upon uh, your, you know, the scoring format where you, where you are willing to take really all the tight ends, but Kyle Pitts in particular, I have him though, as I think tight end four. Yeah. Tight end four right ahead of uh, Mark Andrews and behind the big three. So um, I don't know. That's where I have him positionally. I've got him. I got him in the Scott Fishbowl, but really, other than that, I, I I haven't taken a lot of them. I don't know, Scott. Have you been taking any Kyle Pitts? Uh, no, no. I, I just think he's priced at his absolute ceiling, and right. there's the a there's a tight end I, I like quite a bit going later. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I like. I like. He's not one of your guys, Evan. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No. Are I'm we like... on tight ends already, Graham? Yeah. 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 I, I was just. Yeah. Asking. Sorry. My. My computer crapped out. Yeah, I was just asking Silva how he felt about Pitts. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Scott. I think he's priced, like, right at his ceiling. I mean, he's got to, like – I laid it out with Sig, but, I mean, he's just got to completely smash that ADP where he's going. Who's the late tight end that you like? Let's hear it. Scott. You don't like him, Evan. I looked at your Are rankings. You sure? Yeah. Slogan Thomas. No, dude. No, no, no. I, I feel like I do like him. Um, I just moved him up. All right, where'd you move him? I moved him up to the third tier among tight ends, tight end nine. 
That's not high enough for you, though, huh? I mean, that's his ADP, but that's that's too low. I I honestly don't like Pitts significantly more. I don't like Andrews significantly more. I don't like Hawkinson significantly more. I think right. I think you're looking I, I at think a that's bit- fair. I think that's fair. I mean, the dude caught 72 balls last year, and I think his role might expand from from last year. I mean, I've been I've been looking at him, and that's why that was part of my impetus for moving him up initially. Is like I think I'm too low on him, and then you know, I mean, you've got the the Scott North Turner narrative with tight ends. You've got uh, you know Greg Cosell has talked about it that he he said. I mean, the thing is that Logan Thomas is not going to come off the field. Yeah. Like, he's going to play every single snap. His issue last year really was well, – he got better every week. Again, he's a converted quarterback. His first full year playing tight end. He got better. He was he was better at the end of the season than he was early in the season. And um, the only competition they brought in for him was Boise State's fourth-round pick, John Bates, you know, who, like, had 50 catches in his college career or something. Yep. So, hey, you know, you can definitely build a bull case for Logan Thomas. My my thing with Thomas, though, is, you know, they brought in Curtis, Curtis Samuel, and they're going to run routes in, like, the same vicinity. Yeah, Curtis Samuel has practiced, like, twice. Right, when he's healthy. But he's familiar with Turner, though. That's the thing. It was like he has a history with Turner and Rivera. Like, they, they're going to know how to use him. Like, maybe maybe not like he was used last year because Turner ironically used him as a deep threat in, in 19 and eight had much more optimal usage for Samuel last year with the new staff. But yeah, um, that is, that is the concern. Samuel's not healthy. Um, You know, what I've been thinking with, with Pitts though, is like, man, if we're drafting Pitts to, you know, catch 65, 70 balls, 800, 900 yards, eight and nine touchdowns. Like that's the common projection I see. Dude, just wait two rounds and draft Mark Andrews. Like that's the same exact, range yeah. of outcomes that Andrews has already put together for two years. Like that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I, I mean, Scott and I have talked about this ad nauseum. We, we both love Pitts as a player. It's just the ceiling is tough. Um, so one, one player I'm with you on Silva is Higby. Uh, one, the one tight end uh, you have over Thomas is Higby, man. Like I, I just see, um, you know, Rams don't have anything besides Woods and Cup. They don't have a clear three. Uh, they're they're going to rotate their three most likely between Van Jefferson, D-Jax. Tutu will play a little bit too. But then we're looking at a rotation with their three. And Higby, Higby was always the blocker. Everett was the move guy. They moved Everett all around the formation. Higby was always, on, you know, always on the field of the blocker. So the same argument you make for Thomas, that he's going to be on the field for every snap, you can make for Tyler Higby. And you could also make the argument that Higby yeah, has like just, like, less competition for targets too. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Lay it out for Higby because I know I know you're pretty high on him. Yeah, this Tutu Atwell guy. I mean, who who do you, who do you think is bigger, uh, Davis Maddock or Tutu Atwell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Who do you think it would be easier to pick up? <laughs> probably, probably Tutu. Probably, probably Tutu. Tutu. I mean, he's 5'5", five, five, isn't he? I mean, is Maddox really oh, that man, short? So little, dude. I mean, but anyways, yeah, I I don't know. I'm, I'm keeping my eye on Bryson Hopkins, who was a fourth okay. round pick in 2020. No, 20. Yeah, 2020. Yeah, last year. Didn't didn't get on the field like pretty much at all in year one. Johnny Munt, uh, M-U-N-D, Mundit. Uh, that guy was playing ahead of Bryson Hopkins. But, you know, rookie tight ends – you, you often give him a pass for year one. So I'm keeping my eye on him. And then this Jacob Harris guy who, keep, you know, people keep hyping up. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Scott's oh, yeah. You, are you loving him? Yeah. Scott, are, are you drinking this Kool Aid? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so, so all time spork freak, basically, like, uh, if, if you, if you treat him like a wide receiver, he's one of the top 10 most athletic wide receivers the past 20 years. If you treat him like a tight end, he's one of the top five most athletic tight end. So, absolute freak of nature. He's stealing, stealing the show, winning the day every single day at Rams training camp. Uh, they absolutely love him. Um, I don't know. He's exciting. Sky high upside. And like that you see at the tight end position, athleticism goes so much farther than it does with running backs. He's but this skinny. guy's going to come in and be a factor in year one as like a 220. I feel like he's going to no, go I, down with the first hit and we're going to see, we're not, he's going to go on IR. We're not going to see him, yeah. you know, until next preseason. I, I'm just I'm saying like for dynasty maybe next okay. year or the year okay. after the next Darren Waller Robert Tunyon type. Okay. It kind okay. of felt like this is like McVeigh's project, you know, like to kind of get yeah. like a Darren Waller type esque player, you know, where he can, you know, mold for a couple years. And that's, you know, that's that's the thing with Waller. I mean, it took him a number of years to transition from receiver out of Georgia Tech to tight end. So I think I think that's kind of the game that McVeigh's seeing uh, seeing Harrison, but. Uh, man, this has already been an hour. We could talk a couple more, I'm sure. But uh, yeah. All right. I'm, I, got, I got one last question yeah. for Eva, Evan. I'm, I'm putting you on Eva, the hot seat Eva. here. Me, you, you just called him Elvin. Evan. Evan. No, you used Eva. to call him oh, Elvin. My God. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Legolas Silva over there. Um, yeah. All right. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Our last most recent guest was Sigmund Bloom who has Elijah Moore uh, somehow just as high or, or maybe even a little bit higher than I do. He has him like wide receiver 32. You have him last I checked wide receiver 59. So when you, when you, we've hyped up Elijah Moore every single podcast for five months. So yeah. when you, uh, uh, you know, douse the flames a little bit. I mean, that's awfully early to have, you know, any rookie receiver, I think, uh, in, you know, in, a, in an offense in major transition and not guaranteed of being an every snap player. I feel like he's going to be an efficient player when he gets his opportunities. But, I mean, I, when I'm looking at wide receivers in the wide receiver 30 range, you know, even in the wide receiver 40 range, I'm looking at guys that might be able to get me, you know, 10 targets in a game given, you know, here and there. And I, I don't know if he's going to be able to get to that. Um, with Jam- Jamison Crowder is a target commander. Uh, they paid a lot of money to Corey Davis. Um, you know, Keelan Cole is, is a guy that I think is going to play snaps. I, Denzel Mims is still there. I think that I'm just, I'm worried about them being a, a rotational offense where they play a, a ton of receivers and Elijah Moore has his moments but it's more in like five target games, you know, four or five, six target games. Then he just comes in and starts, you know, he has 120 targets as a rookie. Right. I, I don't know if that's within his range of potential outcomes, 120 targets. It might be. Maybe it is. But I, I think that they're going to get the ball to the other dudes quite a bit. And Michael Carter is an abs- is absolutely a threat to catch a bunch of balls. So – yeah. I mean, I, I I love Elijah Moore as a player. It reminds me a lot of Doug Baldwin, and you know I think he's I think he's a baller, but I think he's more likely to have like a forty-five catch, six hundred and fifty yard, you know, five touchdown rookie season than than the the upside that the the guys in that range could provide. 
Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I mean, the thing the thing with Moore I keep coming back to is like he's going to play outside too. Like Crowder's strictly yeah. slot. So right. ideally, if they when they go into twelve, it's going to be Davis and Moore outside, and then when they go you know into their eleven and three three wide receiver stuff, we'll see you know Crowder pop in the slot, and maybe more. What's Scott doing? Look at this. Maybe, maybe Moore get a, a slot love too, but. <laughs> Are you trying to kill a, like a a fly or something? No, I'm, I'm trying to fix my light. My light bulb just oh, went out. Right. No, he, he he's going back to get some more milk out of the fridge. That's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> got to go get got to get a, go get another cup there. But uh, yo, for real, this has been awesome, man. Um, yeah. yeah, lots of just lots of good uh good insights, good context, and uh, yeah, just just appreciate your time taking you know an hour and fifteen minutes out of your time uh, in the middle of the week uh, to talk to us. Thanks so much for having me, guys. By the way, if you're into drinking milk, um, I have like a little uh, uh, secret. You know, it's how to make it just taste so good. Um, this is what you do. So you put it in like one of these, uh, one of these like metal glasses, you know? Yeah. And you put a little ice in there, and you stick it in the freezer for like four minutes with milk. Oh, it just tastes so good. It's like it's like you're taking it right from the tea, you know? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, you want to talk it's so good. You want to talk secret milk? I live in Houston. I drive yeah. 30 minutes away to get raw milk. It's wow. like dangerous bootleg milk, it's, but it's delicious and it's, it's healthy for you. It's great. Amazing. <laughs> Scott's out there bootlegging milk on the side. That's <laughs> <laughs> a milk out here. <laughs> uh, that's great. All right, we'll leave you guys right. on that note. Um, Scott and I will be back next week uh, with another guest talking through some, some stuff. And uh, we got preseason games this week, fellas. Preseason. I'm yep. so pumped, man. Full slate on Saturday. Got a couple games Thursday and Friday. So, uh, yeah, it's it's that time of year. We, we missed out on the preseason last year, and it feels even better to have it back this year. But, uh, yeah, uh, again, thank you, Evan, for Scott. I'm Graham. Swamp Rats, we'll catch you next time. Welcome to Fantasy Points Radio. We bring to you Barfield and Perry. All of these, all of these parents say hella embarrassed. Like, why did they air it? But all of these errors and Buffett and Barrett, you cannot compare it. The kings of this era, there should be a tariff on all of this knowledge. I follow regardless and straight to the point like a crow. Popping and coming, it's losing my oxygen takes that they got made me go. Whoa, so what's a swamp rat gotta do? I'm chasing all of this cheese, even if my competition grew. Deuces to the mean, your boy is never regressing. Off season through the season, 365, 247, and it's one for the money, two bars on the show. Stay ready, swamp rats, let's go It's the fantasy points Ain't no raggedy joint They mad at me scoring points But then they glad that they join One for the money, two bars on the show The boys stay ready, swamp rats, let's go It's the fantasy points Ain't no raggedy joint They mad at me scoring points But then they glad that they